What's going on? Good morning, Discover Church. Man, it's so good to see you this morning. I'm glad you guys are here today. We got a bunch of people that said, we ain't scared of no stinking snow, man. I'm glad you guys are here. i be honest, how many of you are, uh, when, when the weather gets like this, how many of you are like, oh, I can't wait to get out and drive? Yeah, yeah. Any ladies that are that way? A few of you? Come on. Come on, I love it. I love it, man. We are equal opportunity around here. We'll all go out and be stupid and have fun together. Well, listen, it's so good to see you this morning. I'm so excited to continue into week three of our series called Momentum. And I just have to tell you, we're going to be unpacking a passage of scripture today that is, is just so dense. It's, it's dripping with God's love for you. It's dripping with, with the hope of what God wants for you. And I, I, it's one of my favorite sections of scripture. And, and every time I come across it, um, I, I begin to, to think about my family and I begin to, to think these verses and pray for these verses for my kids. And since I've become the pastor here at Discover Church, since we started the church, every time I come across this passage of scripture, I, I stop and I think about you and I pray these verses over you. I want what God is going to describe in these verses for you. I want this for you in your life so bad. So I'm glad that you're here today. For those that are tuning in online, I'm thankful that you're joining us. Can you do me a favor? Can you give a warm round of applause for all the folks that said, nope, I'm staying home. That's all right. That's all right. We'll see you next week. All right, we'll see you next week. Um, but I've titled this week's message, Where's It Growing? Where's it growing? As we continue to learn about this remarkable force that is the momentum of the kingdom of God, we're gonna talk today about where's it growing. Now, here's what we've learned so far. We learned in week one, we learned all about this momentum and we learned where momentum is headed. Momentum is headed towards victory. We unpacked that in the first week and, and unpacked God's word and, and got into the book of Revelation a little bit and saw where the momentum of the kingdom of God is headed with victory in Jesus, can somebody say amen? And then last week we learned that there's a predictable pattern to momentum. That in order for us to be able to tap into it, there's a, there's a predictable pattern that there is a revelation, I'm sorry, there's an encounter, then there's a revelation, and then there's a surrender. And ultimately what we're talking about in this entire series is, is we're talking about how do we tap into this momentum that is headed towards victory? And we're gonna take another step forward in this series today as we answer the question, where's it growing? Because you see, what I want you to see is that as God, as you tap into this kingdom momentum, I want you to see where God is gonna lead you to grow in your life. And I wanna share a story with you. And I, and I certainly didn't know, I wasn't, I didn't plan this when I planned this series out. Um, but since it's so wintry and snowy outside, I thought I'd tell you a story about my summer vacation to Florida. And uh, I thought about bringing some pictures, but then I just thought that'd be cruel. Just thought that'd be cruel. Also was worried you wouldn't recognize me because I had a tan then and I'm pasty now. And, you know, so it's kind of two different people. But this past summer, my family went down to Destin, Florida. Any of you guys ever been to Destin? Redneck Riviera? Come on, I'm from Arkansas, I can say that, but you can't. And uh, anyway, we, we love going to the beach. Going to the beach for us is um, more than any other type of trip, a mountain trip, a city trip or whatever. There's something about getting to the beach that just, just allows us to just turn the world off for a few days and just be in the moment. 
And something about getting, feeling the warm air, walking on the sand, hearing the, the waves and the birds and, and the smell. There's something about it that just, it just like, yes, okay, now I can disconnect from the world and let the world just keep going crazy for a few minutes without me being a part of it. And this last year we went to Destin. It was the first time that we've been back to the beach in three years. Uh, the last time that we went, my kids were six, four, and two. And the last time that we were there, um, they, they, were, they didn't really love the ocean that much. Um, I'm, I'm the kind of guy, Jessica gives me a hard time because I'm not the guy that can just sit on the beach and read a book for five days in a row. Okay, anybody else like that? Like, I can't do that? Yeah, yeah, uh, I can't do that. I am the guy, however, that will, I'm, I'm a large person. And so sometimes I might be confused as a beached whale frolicking in the waves and, and Jessica makes fun of me for it. And I don't even care. I'm having, I, I do me, you do you. And we'll just have our own fun. And so anyway, so I like to get out in the waves. I like to get out in the ocean. I like to boogie board and bodyboard and all that stuff. And so the last time that we were there, I was doing that. And, and my kids wanted to go out and, and be a part of it. But, but I would take them out there and they'd get out and they're like, no, 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 I hate this. Take me back, daddy. And they, usually they said that by just scream crying. Um, and, and I understood what they were saying. And so I would take them back. But this year was very, very different. This year, as they were a little bit older, a little bit more mature, a little bit more developed, they saw me and my uncle, my sister, my cousin, they saw us out, out into the ocean. And we were, man, we were having fun in the water and fun in the waves. And all three of my kids were like, daddy, 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 can we go out there with you? I said, well, of course, come on. And so I would take them under my wing and I would, I would take them out into the deep part, past the break point. The part, the pro, part of their problem was is they never, were never able to get past the break point where the waves come crashing down and it was just, it was just crushing to them. It, it, it just crushed their soul and their desire to be at the beach. And so they're like, I'll just stay on the beach. But this time I was able to take them past the break point. We'd go out super deep where our feet could just barely touch and we would just jump up and down with the swells. I don't know why that's fun, but it is fun. And so we would just jump up and down with the swells and then, and then we'd move a little bit closer and begin to show them how to, how to boogie board. We, had a, we bought a boogie board for them and, and so was teaching them how to boogie board. And, and in the process, you know, I'd, I'd be standing here like this and they'd be on their boogie board and they're looking at the beach that way and I'm looking this way, waiting for a good wave to come. And the whole time they're like, oh, there's a wave, daddy. And I'm like, no, that's not a very good wave. You know, let's wait for the good one. And then eventually a good wave would come and be like, all right, here we go. Here's your job. Hold on to the board. Look that way. Ready, set, go. And I would push them. And every once in a while, they would just catch the perfect wave and it would push them all the way up to the shore. And man, they were loving life. We had a phenomenal time teaching them how to do that. And I can't tell you that, that how much joy it brought me and how much fun it was for me as a dad to see the joy on their faces. And we just spent hours, every day we would go to the beach, we would just spend hours out there jumping around, catching waves and all that stuff because they were now at a point where they were old enough, they were mature enough to be able to appreciate the joy of the ocean. They were able to appreciate the joy and the rhythm of everything that, that happens in the ocean. And they were finally able to get past the part that wasn't very enjoyable when they were younger, when they were less mature. They were able to get past the break point of the waves that just, that would crash down on their face and knock them off their feet and send water up their nose and cause them to start running and crying. And, and they were able to finally this year learn how to harness the never ending momentum of the ocean and enjoy the ride. And I have to tell you that I'm convinced that my kids' experience with the ocean 
is so similar to our experience and our relationship with God. What I mean by that is, is I believe that there's, there's a lot of us that, 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 that we've, we've heard about this awesome, powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God, the creator of the universe, and we first begin our relationship with him and we, 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 we begin to, to walk with him. There are times where there's things that are great and we're overwhelmed by his love and grace, but then there's times when we, we begin to realize that his expectation and hope for us is hard that it's difficult to live the life that Jesus wants us to live. And what happens is, as we experience the unstoppable force of, the, of God's kingdom and his momentum that never ends, and in the early stages of us learning about God and trying to connect with him, we get to the, those breakpoint moments where we get pounded over and over and over again by his conviction and his correction. And I'm convinced that there's a lot of people that, that proclaim to be followers of Jesus that have never grown to a point of maturity because you've never been able to get past the break point of God's conviction and God's correction. And at times you experience the conviction and the correction of God and you, you begin to cry out, God, why is this happening to me? God, what, what, what's going on? What, why, why, why are these things happening? And when there's areas of sin in our life, God will bring his conviction and he will bring his correction in order to help redirect us into becoming more like Jesus. God's ultimate desire for us is that we would, the longer that we walk with Jesus, that we would look a little bit less like we used to be and who we used to be and that we would constantly be looking a little bit more like Jesus. John the Baptist talked about it this way in John chapter three and verse 30, when he said, he must increase and I must decrease. Can I tell you that that, that should be the cry, that should be the prayer of every single follower of Jesus, that the more that we walk with God, the more we understand about God, the more times we come to church, the more times we serve, the more times we're in community and small groups, that our prayer would constantly be, oh my God, I realize how far away, how far from you I am. God, would you increase in my life and would I decrease? Jesus, would, would you lead me to look more like you? Would you rearrange my life and my thoughts and my priorities so that, so that when people look at me, they look at somebody that's different, that resembles more of Jesus and less of the old me? That's what God wants for us. And so God brings his conviction and his correction. What are these things? Conviction is the Holy Spirit speaking into your soul, seeking, you, seeking to convince you of the rightness or the wrongness of something. That's what his conviction is. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. And ultimately, his conviction is his work that is trying to lead us away from temptation. Can I tell you that there's nothing sinful about temptation? Temptation, the things that call out to you, the things that cause you to want to turn towards things that are sinful, temptation in and itself is not sinful. It becomes sin when you turn towards that temptation and you begin to walk towards sin. That's when you become, step into the realm of sin. And so what God's Holy Spirit does is he brings, he brings conviction to convince you that this area of temptation is not going to bring life to you. 
It might, it might be fun for a moment, but it's not going to fulfill you or satisfy you or sustain you. And then in the areas of our life where we have walked into sin, then God brings correction. And God's correction is, <coughs> excuse me, God's correction is the Holy Spirit working in our lives to, to do the same thing a parent does. When a parent tries to introduce a negative stimulus into the life of a child, when a kid is doing the wrong thing, it, it, it's the negative stimulus, whatever that is for you, that's trying to convince your kid to go a different direction. What are you doing in that moment? You're trying to say, listen, bud, if you want to keep going this direction, this is the negative stimulus you can continue to expect. I had a negative stimulus moment with my kids this morning. We told them to go get ready for church. They got ready for church, came down. I looked at what one of them was wearing. I was like, what are you wearing? Go change. I went and did something else and came back. And you know what they were still doing? They were still sitting on the couch watching cartoons. And it was that moment. I said, dear Lord, children are a joy and a gift. I am going to insert a negative stimulus in this moment so that I don't forget that they're a joy and so that they will remember the direction that is right. God talks about this in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 12, he says, my son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. You see, it's because God loves us, he'll bring correction into our lives. What does that look like? I don't know what that's gonna look like for you. I certainly do not intend to portray that God is a, uh, a, a God that interacts based on merit, that interacts based on works, that when you, you do enough good stuff, God brings good stuff. You do some bad stuff, then God brings bad stuff. I don't mean to portray that, but God's word is very clear that he does reward obedience. And then if we continue to walk in sin, thanks brother, if you continue to walk in sin, then you can ultimately begin to expect at some point correction that's gonna come into your life. And can I tell you, you will almost always know it's correction from the Lord when, when you face that moment of correction, when the first thought in your mind is, man, I really wish that I wasn't still struggling in this area because maybe I wouldn't be facing this problem. That's the correction from the Lord. And so listen, I, I don't love my kids any more or any less when they're doing right or doing wrong. But I can promise you that my kids please me more when they play nice with each other, when they're laughing and playing and everything is a good time. I can promise you that's more pleasing to me than when I hear yelling and fighting and eventually hear the, of somebody getting hit and then the cry and then the up the stairs and then the, daddy, they hit me. That's not very pleasing to me as a dad. You see, God's no different. And so we're not talking about the measure of God's love. What we're talking about are the things that please God and the way that God interacts and works with us. And so here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that the only way that we can begin to understand how God's correction and conviction work in a positive way. The only way that we can begin to get past 
past the crushing weight of the waves that break over us of God's correction and his conviction in areas of our life is to begin to understand where kingdom momentum is growing in our lives. And I wanna unpack together today Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one and verse nine. And in the context of this, the apostle Paul is writing this to a group of Christians that um, they had recently converted. They placed their faith in Christ. And they're under immense pressure by the Jews for basically turning their back on the Jewish religion. And they're under extreme persecution from the, 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 the Roman government who is trying to eradicate and eliminate everything having to do with Jesus. And Paul writes to them and he, he says, listen, since the day that we heard it, since the day we heard of your salvation, from the day that we heard about the good things that were happening in Colossae, from the day that we heard about the, the, the conversion of your life to the point that you are now spiritually alive and, and God is alive and at work and moving in your life, here's what we've been praying for you. We do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience, long suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Wow. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but, but I read this and I say, yes. Jesus, I, th th this is what I want. If I could list Jesus, what I would love to get in my relationship with you as a byproduct of my relationship with you, this is it. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. I haven't had problems all week, but my throat's tickling today. And ultimately, here's the deal. If you and I come to the point of believing that Jesus really is the king of creation, the creator of the cosmos, that there's nothing that he cannot do, then when I read this passage, I just will like raise my hand and say, yes, Lord, amen. I want that in my life, Jesus. And so what I wanna do today is I just wanna unpack this because what I, what I want you to see today is that, that what, what is revealed in this passage of scripture it's God's heartbeat for you. It's God's desire for you. It's what God wants for you. So many of us walk through and live the Christian life with so many questions and, 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 and frustrations and, and, and feel like we're, we're walking through a, a maze of, of smoke and mirrors trying to guess and figure out where God is and who God is and what God is doing. But God is saying clearly here what he wants for us. So I want to unpack this today. And as we do, I want to, I want to reveal kind of the big idea <clears throat> that I believe that this text is laying out, that ultimately we're asking the question, where is it growing? And I want you to see that kingdom momentum is always, always, always growing towards maturity. It's always growing in your life, the work of God, the momentum of the kingdom of God at work in your life. When you tap into that momentum, it will always grow you towards maturity if you'll let it. What does this mean? Well, I believe if we look at this passage, I believe that God gives us four descriptions of his desire for you, four descriptions of what spiritual maturity looks like. 
All right, so if you look at the text, and let me teach you just a little bit about studying and unpacking the Bible and trying to read it for all it's worth. Um, you're gonna have to go back to some of those grammar rules that you learned in high school. How many of you loved grammar in high school? How many of you hated grammar in high school? You are my people. <clears throat> God has a sense of humor that now a massive part of my life is now dissecting words and grammar and trying to help people understand it. I was in high school, I was sophomore in high school, I was in uh, AP Lit. <clears throat> it was like AP Hell. I don't have time, but this is funny, I'm gonna tell you this real quick. <clears throat> my teacher... My teacher was like this 70-year-old lady, a little bitty thing, and uh, her name was Miss Eagle, and I was struggling. I mean, struggling. We were reading poems by Dickinson and Thoreau, and I, I, I was going to her every day at lunch. I was going to get five or 10 minutes with her. Every, almost every day after school, I was stopping by her class like, Ms. Eagle, I'm trying to understand this, da, 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 da. And y'all, I'm telling you, this boy from Arkansas, he was on the struggle bus. And I remember telling Miss Eagle, like I was to the point of being so frustrated. Like I'm, I'm like on the verge of tears as I'm talking to her <clears throat> because I'm on the verge of, in my home, the expectation in school was, was B's or better. And I, and I had a solid C in Miss Eagle's class. And if I finished the semester with a C, it meant I was done playing basketball. And at that point in my life, all I cared about was playing basketball. And so I'm in Miss Eagle's class over and over and over again. I'm on the verge of tears. And I ask her, Miss Eagle, I just don't understand how anybody is able to understand this. Why do we have to make all of these connections? Why can't we just read she was in a white dress by a pond eating a picnic dinner? And she grabs me by the hand. She looks up at me. Oh, sweetheart, none of us can understand it. That's all the part of the joy. And it's the first time in my life I ever thought about elderly abuse. <laughs> I almost slapped her. But I have to tell you, it, it's the only time, I know kids say oftentimes, my teacher gave me a bad grade. I can tell you what. I know that my teacher, that she gave me a B minus in that class because I had like a C minus going into the final and I got a D on the final and somehow that math worked out to a B. <laughs> I want to help you see, if you look at the, the grammar here, there's three semicolons. So there's four different ideas that God is establishing here. I want to walk you through them real, real, real briefly. The first description God gives us of maturity is that our minds are surrendered to God's word so that we can understand biblical principles and filter life through them. Where do I get that? We find it in verse nine. He says this, that you may be filled. This word filled is translated from a Greek word that literally means to be controlled by. So what he's saying is, is that you would be so understand, you would be so enamored, so aware, so familiar with God's word that God's word would fill you and it would control the decisions that you make. Not your emotions, not the situation, not the circumstances, not how you feel. But the truth of God's word would be the controlling factor about how you live your life. 
He goes on to say that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The words wisdom and understanding are connected by the word spiritual. God's trying to help us see here (coughs) that his desire is that we would have some knowledge, some wisdom and some understanding about the spiritual things that God is doing behind the scenes. Now listen, God never promises that we're gonna understand everything that he's doing, but he also doesn't want us to be in the dark. And so what God is promising here, that one of the descriptors of maturity is that you would be able to have an understanding of God's word and you would be able to look at the situations and the circumstances and the things that are happening in life and you would be able to filter them through God's word so that you can go, okay, God tells me in his word, this is how he operates and this is the trend of of where he's going and this is his character and his attributes. And so when I look at this situation through the lens of God's word, I can clearly see that God is doing some things behind the scenes. This is what God wants for you. God wants for you to be able to have this kind of spiritual understanding. And what God doesn't want for you is he doesn't want for you to be like a rowboat in the middle of the ocean that's being tossed back and forth by every encounter and every situation. Ephesians speaks to this in chapter four and verse 14. He says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. God wants you to be able to be so anchored that when you see some nonsense in the world or you see a Christian that you respect and admire post something that you just assume it must be right because they love Jesus, but it's clear that by somebody who does know the word of God can view what that Christian posted, that that Christian doesn't have even a basic understanding of God's word, that you won't read an erroneous post or an erroneous article or read an erroneous tweet and just assume that that's how God is and that's how God operates. To take it even further, can I just tell you that not everybody who proclaims to be a pastor builds their teaching off of the foundation of God's word. There are a lot of pastors who, who, who build their teaching where they, they do like we talked about last week. I'm gonna pick and choose certain parts of it that feel good. I'm gonna find the stuff that preaches good. I'm gonna find the stuff that causes everybody to shout amen. I'm gonna preach the stuff that causes everybody to come and have their ears tickled by, by hearing all the things that's gonna make them feel good. But then I'm gonna leave out the things from God's word that are inconvenient, that are uncomfortable, that are difficult to swallow, that challenge the assumptions and perspectives that people have and confront the way that people are living in their lives that don't line up and match up with what God's desire for them. And so listen, you need to be able to take God's word and measure everything you see and everything you hear and bring it back to God's word. And that includes the stuff that I say. Listen, if I start preaching something that disagrees with the foundational truths of God's word, you have my permission to say, hey, pastor, I'm ignoring you and I'm following God. You need to do that because I'm not Jesus. The only way you can know where he's leading is if you know what he has said in his word. This is what God wants for you. Here's the second thing that describes maturity, that our lives would have fruit and continual growth. Where do I get that in the next verse? He says this, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, 
being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What is this saying? Well, this idea of walking worthy is the idea that, that we would live our lives in such a way that would please God. The same way that I talked about earlier, that when my kids, when my kids do the right thing, it's pleasing to me. I don't love them anymore, but I do like them a little bit more. I want to be around them a little bit more. Now, if that's true of me as a sinful man, as a broken man, as a man with baggage and issues and problems with my kids, how much more so can that be true with a perfect God who loves you no matter who you are, what you are, what you do? But what he's saying is, is that we would live in such a way that we would, we would walk worthy, not that you earn it, but, but you walk worthy of the Lord when you live by faith and not by sight. You walk worthy of the Lord when you live in humility, when you live in purity, when you live in love, when you live in the light of Jesus and allow the light of Jesus to shine through your life into the world. We walk worthy of the Lord when we walk in wisdom. Can I tell you that God doesn't want you to walk around as an idiot? He doesn't. And I, Listen, I love you. I, I'm including me in this, but sometimes we do some really dumb things. I think about that quote from The Office when Dwight said, when, when Michael asked Dwight, what's the most inspiring thing I've ever said to you? And Dwight says, don't be an idiot. Changed my life. When I'm in life and I think about things, I ask myself, would an idiot do this? And if they would, then I do not do that thing. God doesn't want us to walk around. He wants us to walk around and be wise. We walk worthy of the Lord and we walk in truth and not emotions. We walk worthy of the Lord and we walk different from the world because we've been changed by Christ. And we walk worthy of the Lord and we walk in community instead of in isolation. God wants us to walk worthy of him. He wants us to orient our lives around him and around his truth. And then he says that we could be fruitful. What does this mean? It means exactly what it says. It means that we would bear fruit. When does a tree, when is a fruit tree, when has it become fruitful? When it has fruit. And what's inside of the fruit is the seed and the seed could then be taken and planted to start another tree that could bear more fruit. God's desire in our lives is that our lives would bear fruit. What does this mean? He means that he wants our lives to bear fruit spiritually. He means that, that, that he wants us to take the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus that we've encountered and experienced and invest it into the lives of others so that other people can experience the love and the grace of Jesus, can grow in the grace of Jesus, and then take it a step further that other people can, can then impart that to new people and then those new people can go and minister and help people experience the love of Jesus. <clears throat> and this is so critical for us. And this is a point that so many Christians miss because so many Christians are living in what we talked about last week, the oxymoron of consumer-based Christianity. That we come into Christianity and go, woo, I got my get out of hell free card. I can do whatever I want. I'll go to church every once in a while, I'll slide a little money in the plate every now and then. I might even sign up to serve when the church does the outreach because it all makes me feel good. It makes me feel right and good and all that about myself. But can I tell you that God's desire is that it's very different than that. The purpose of Christianity is not about you. The purpose of our faith is about 
the incredible thing that God did 2,000 years ago to help save people from themselves. Don't you notice what Jesus said in John 15, eight? He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. You see, Jesus' hope for you is that you're not just a casual fan coming in and consuming what feels good and what feels right and getting your little shot in the arm of, of Jesus on a Sunday. And I don't mean to come across as condemning for that. I'm trying to help portray that what God wants for you is so much more than that. That what he wants for you is that you would live as a committed and consecrated disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple is somebody that is following Jesus with the intent of giving him permission to change whatever he wants so that we can experience more of the goodness and more of the victory and more of the joy in our lives that he died for us to have. That's a disciple. And God's desire is that we would be a disciple. And the way that we are a disciple, the way that we know that we're a disciple is when our lives bear fruit. So let me ask a very, very challenging question for you today. Is there fruit in your life, Christian? Is there spiritual fruit in your life? You might be thinking, well, I don't really know how to answer that. Well, then let me ask a couple of clarifying questions. Who can you point to that is now following Jesus because of your influence on their life? Now, listen, I know this is uncomfortable. I know this is kind of awkward. I'm not saying this because I'm mad. I, I, I love you and I want you to have everything that Jesus is describing in his word right here. But in order for us to experience that, in order for us to understand that, we have to do what Jesus has called us to do. And so I'm asking, and God is asking, the spirit of God is asking you today, is there fruit in your life? Let me take it a step further. Let me ask a second clarifying question. Is there anybody whose life has been so changed by Jesus that they are now going and bearing fruit by watching the example of your life and your influence on them. By this, my father is glorified that you would bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. I'm trying to help you see what God wants for you. Because as you grow, you're going to bear fruit and you're going to continue to grow. I want you to notice this last thing in this section. He says, increasing in the knowledge of God. What does this mean? It means that we, that we can just continue to grow up. It means that we, 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 we never really fully arrive. We never, we never fully are going to know all there is to know. But in the same way that a, that a reptile never stops growing, God's desire for us is that we never stop growing. That every pinnacle of faith, we go, my goodness, I just, I feel so close to Jesus. I don't know how I could get any closer. God wants you to know, oh, there's a lot of steps left. You can get closer. Trust me, just keep following and watch what I do. That's what God wants for you. third thing that God wants for us in maturity is that we are strengthened to endure all circumstances and all people with joy. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's going to be some good news for somebody because somebody has gone through some circumstances or been around some people recently. And you just thought, dear Lord, I can't even with this right now. Kind of like I did this morning with my beautiful children. Notice what it says, verse 11, strengthened with all might. 
What does this mean? This, this strengthened with all might is derived from the Greek word where we get the word dynamite. What he's saying is, is that there is explosive power that is available at a moment's notice in our lives in every hardship and every difficult circumstance and every difficult situation relationship that through the spirit of God, as we walk in Christ, as we mature in him, that there is dynamite power that's available to help break loose the stuff that is causing so much conflict because we're strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. This word patience, it literally means, translated from the Greek, it literally means patience in all circumstances. And the word long suffering translated literally from the Greek means patience with all people. And so what God is saying in this is that as you mature in Christ, that, that there, will, there will never be a time where you don't have the, the endurance, the stuff that's required so that you can endure hard circumstances and difficult people. And I want you to notice what I love about this is he's not just saying it's kind of the grit your teeth and bear it like, I'm gonna get through this kind of like a root canal and it'll be over and it'll be done and I'll be thankful for it because it'll be over kind of how I feel. Jessica and I are doing a, a 75 hard right now. We're six days in. I'm just going to grit my teeth and bear it because when it gets done, I'm going to feel a lot better about myself. What God is saying is that you're going to be able to endure circumstances, endure people with joy. You go, Mm-mm, I don't believe that's true. I don't think that's possible. Then I would submit to you that you've not reach the point of maturity to experience the grace of God so that you can endure those situations as God is talking about. And here's the last descriptor of spiritual maturity, that we have gratitude for God's grace and God's goodness. Colossians 1.12 says, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. Can I tell you <clears throat> that the moment that you come to Jesus, Jesus is not in the business of making people good. Jesus is not in the business of making people better. Jesus is not in the business of making people more than. Jesus is in the business of bringing dead people to life. And that when we trust in Christ for salvation, we become spiritually alive. We become adopted into God's family. We've been chosen as his children. And because of that, we are qualified through grace and faith in Christ to be partakers of the inheritance that God the Father has stored up for all of his children. And that inheritance, a portion of it, you will experience on this side of heaven in the form of grace and, and peace and joy and victory. But the ultimate revelation, the ultimate fulfillment of the, the inheritance that God the Father has for his children will be experienced on the other side of eternity when we have glorified bodies, when we have perfect bodies, when sickness and illness and death and disease and brokenness and addiction and, and wounds and scars and pain and misery and suffering are no more. Because there will be no tears. There will be no mourning will only be joy. This is what God has done for us. In Ephesians 2, 5, it says, even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together in, with Christ. 
By grace, you have been saved. This is what God wants for you. God wants this maturity in your life. God wants to help bring you and grow you as a mature follower of Jesus. And so what does this look like? Let's just review that spiritual maturity looks like our minds are surrendered to God's word so we can understand biblical principles and filter life through them. That our lives please God by bearing fruit and having continual growth, that we're strengthened to endure all circumstances, all people with joy, and we have gratitude for God's grace and God's goodness. This is what God wants for you. Now let me tell you why. The reason why God wants this for you is because the victory that you are hoping for, the victory that you've been praying for, the victory that you've been crying out to God for will only happen in your life and it will only be realized through your maturity in Christ. What God is trying to help us understand today is that so many of the things that we're praying for God to do in our lives are less about God interacting and intervening from heaven and changing the circumstance around you. So oftentimes the victory that we're praying for in our marriage, in our finances, in our career has nothing to do with the external circumstances and it has everything to do with the internal problem that we are not mature in Christ to experience the things that Colossians is trying to help us see that God wants for us. Because when we are mature in Christ and we experience the things that God is defining for us in Colossians chapter one, then we'll begin to see that the goodness of God is not changing the circumstance around us. And God's power is not most demonstrated by changing the stuff going on around us. The goodness and the power of God is demonstrated by changing what's going on within us and thus changing the way that we interact and encounter and face the stuff that's going on around us. The victory you are hoping for in your life will only be realized through your maturity in Christ. Now, I told you at the beginning that kingdom momentum is always, always, always growing towards maturity. But here's what you need to understand. Maturity always, always, always happens through community. When you position yourself with other followers of Jesus in a community of faith, so that you allow people to see you, to know who you really are, and you take off the mask, and you share your victories and your burdens and your struggles and your pains. And what God does through that community of faith that, that starts off as a church, but, but that's not really the end goal. The end goal is that you would find yourself in, in a smaller knit community where you're with people that you can share your burdens and your, your struggles with and you can confess your sin to. 
and they rally around you in love and grace and they encourage you and they pray for you and they hold you accountable and they call you on Thursday at seven o'clock because they know at Thursday at seven o'clock, you've got a thing that, that's a trigger issue for you. And so they're calling you just saying, hey, how you doing, man? You doing all right? You need me to stop by? You mean just hang on the phone for just a little bit? Maturity always, always, always happens through community. This letter of Colossians was not written to a single person. This letter of Colossians was written to a group of people who were new in their relationship with Jesus. And the apostle Paul writes them and says, we have not stopped praying for you to realize these things. Because this is the heart of God. God does not want to be distant and foreign and unknown to you. He doesn't want to be an unknown commodity or an, uh, 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 his will and his desire and his direction for your life to be a constant question mark. That's not what he wants. He wants a relationship. He wants fellowship. He wants intimacy with you. And so Paul is saying, I've not stopped praying this for you. And the reason why when I come across this verse, I pray these verses for my kids and I pray this verse for you as our church is because I want, this for you. And so how do you become spiritually mature? The first thing you do is you have to listen. You have to spend time in God's word and you have to listen to what God's word says. And once you hear what God's word says and you listen to what God's word says, then you need to obey what God's word says. You need to obey where God is leading you. And as you go through the process of hearing what God's word says and listening to what God's word says and you obey where God is leading you, then you connect with other people so they can hold you accountable. They can encourage you and support you and be your community of people so that you can walk together to experience the victory by growing in maturity. I wanna close by coming back to our, our vacation without really realizing it through the process of our vacation, this is what Carson experienced. In this one little area of his life of learning how to catch the right wave. And on the last day of our vacation, we were out at the beach and um, you, usually, Jess, I love Jessica because Jessica is, is uh, she loves to have fun. She loves to mix it up. And sometimes fun for her is different for me, but sometimes they overlap. And on the last day of, of the trip, uh, she got out, she saw the, the kids were having fun and I was having fun. And, and so she makes her way out to, uh, to the ocean and, and, and out, out into the deep where we are. We're just having a blast, we're having a good time and we're, we're, we're getting ready to wrap up and we gotta go home and pack and we're leaving to come back home the next, the next day. And, and the kids, you know, they're doing the normal kid thing. Oh, we don't wanna go, we wanna stay. Can we stay, can we stay? And, they're like, one more wave, one more wave, one more wave. And we're like, all right, one more wave. And I've got Gunner and Micah. And, uh, you know, I'm doing my thing, you know, and the big wave comes and I send Micah and the, the, all right, I've got Gunner and Micah's up at the beach now. And I've got Gunner doing the same thing. And Jessica's doing the same thing with Carson. And what I didn't know was the conversation that Carson was having with Jessica. You see, Jessica saw a wave coming and she got ready to send him. And Carson, he's looking back. He goes, no, mommy, that's not a good wave. That's not, that's not the right one. 
And, you know, kind of, as a normal parent, there's a little bit of like, just shut up and write it, you know? Like, we've got to go home, we've got so much stuff to do. And, but Jessica's so gracious and so patient with the kids. She goes, okay. And so they're over there and I'm doing my thing with Micah and, and Gunnar and, and they're gone. And I turn and look, right after seeing Gunnar, I turn and look and, and Carson, <clears throat> again, I, didn't, I couldn't hear what was being said. Jessica told me about it later. But, but she said, Carson, Carson said, mommy, that's, that's not the right one. And then he goes, oh, mommy. Here comes a good one. Oh, mommy, here comes a good one. Okay. And, and, and Carson, Jessica's telling me the story. Carson turns and goes, all right, mommy, I'm holding on to my board and I'm looking at the beach, all right? All right, and, and, and when it comes, when it gets right there, just push me, okay? And she goes, okay. And the right wave come and it was a great wave. And I turned just as Jessica was shoving him off and he had a smile that was so big. And it was a, an amazing wave. He rode that thing all the way into the sand, and he was, the, the, the joy that was on his face as I was watching him was amazing. And, and, and I finally, you know, it takes a while to walk through all of it and get back up to the beach. And I get back up there and Carson goes, Dad, did you see that way? Did you see that? I rode it all the way through, Dad. You taught me how to do that. You taught me how to find the right wave. You see, in this one little area in his life, he grew in maturity on our trip. You see, the last time we were there, he was overwhelmed and kind of punished by the force of the waves. But as he got a little bit more mature, as he got connected with some people who kind of knew what they were doing, he began to learn to enjoy the force of the momentum of the wave. And not only was he able to enjoy it, he was able to teach it to my wife. You see, this is what God wants for you. He wants you to get past the break point of conviction and correction so that you can get out into the deep and you can experience the fun and the joy of life. And what God wants for you and what you'll see when you get there is that you'll eventually mature past the point of feeling like you've got to ask God specifically every single step of the way. God, how do I do this the exact right way in this situation? How do I do this in the exact right way in this situation? God, I want to, I want to do what's right. And what you'll begin to understand as you grow in maturity, as you become conformed to the image of Jesus, and your, your, your motivations and your desires have now changed from what they used to be apart from Christ to now being aligned with the very heart of God. And you'll find yourself in a season where you will see a never-ending flow of waves of opportunity coming your way. And you will pray, God, which one do I take? And God's response to you will be, my son, my daughter, you can't go wrong. Because you've allowed me to change you and mature you in Christ. All of the options before you are options that are pleasing to me. So you choose. This is what God wants for you. Kingdom momentum is growing towards maturity. And as you tap into it, as you mature in Christ, you will experience more victory and more joy in this world.
At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.